This is the Oanda Market Insights podcast with me, Johnny Hart. Let's speak to Oanda Senior Market Analyst in London, Craig Earlham. Good morning. Good morning. So overnight, Asian markets have been up and down, initially opening higher, reflecting on the US close yesterday, but they've since dropped back. What is the latest for the UK opening with the FTSE? The FTSE's open just over half a percent uh, lower, probably leading as far as Europe's concerned, but the pound is off uh, around three quarters of one percent. So we, uh, I think that's doing something to support it. We've talked about that inverse relationship between the two over and over again. More Almost 80% of revenues generated by FTSE 100 companies comes from abroad. So a softer pound is typically supportive for the index. Obviously, this is coming on the back of what has been quite a strong run, really, for the last three weeks. So we shouldn't get too carried away with this. But we've just had a few difficult-to-hear warnings uh, over the course of the last 24 hours, whether from the IMF, whether from the OBR. Perhaps maybe that's just hitting home a little bit, but we are heading for quite a severe and hopefully temporary, but certainly severe recession. Yes, those warnings make grim reading on the front pages of this morning's newspapers. Uh, Financial Times headlines with virus threatens to hit economy harder than war and flu in 1918. This, of course, is the Office for Budget Responsibility, which has warned that the pandemic could see the economy shrink by a record 35% by June. Two million additional workers face unemployment, public borrowing on a scale not since the Second World War. It's depressing stuff, isn't it? It is. uh, And we just have to hope that all the efforts that have been put in place that weren't put in place in 2008, that weren't put in place during previous deep recessions, including, for example, the 80% contribution to enable companies to retain staff, even if they're not actually working. We have to hope that these efforts are going to bear fruit at the end of the day. Yes, we are going to see larger fiscal deficits. But if it means that when the economy is back up and running, if it means that people have money to spend because they haven't lost their jobs, if it means that people can go back to work as the economy starts to move again, then hopefully you can still see a quicker uh, return to relative normality. There is still going to obviously um, be a lag. There is obviously still going to be collateral damage. So we can't expect all all lost employment to be uh, reversed quickly. Uh, so it's not going to be the the kind of V-shaped recovery that we're, that that we people were initially expecting. But you have to hope that all of these efforts are going to minimise to an extent the uh, economic damage caused uh, by this. And when we're talking about more than 30% contractions, you are just talking about one quarter uh, because obviously when the economy grinds to a halt, when people stay indoors, when businesses close their doors, that is just going to happen. As long as that our loss of that is reversed, then hopefully towards the back end of the year and early next, you should start to see something that much more resembles normality. I should also say we had a warning from the International Monetary Fund says the UK could have its deepest slump for a century as well. But perhaps surprising with that OBR report, Craig, it says that once restrictions are lifted, there shouldn't be long-term damage to growth. Now, that does surprise me because I'm thinking of a generational damage to growth. 35%, okay, it's just a figure, but the structural changes that we might see in the way people work, uh, what we do regarding the travel sector, Uh, how business is done, uh, how will all these companies that just can't exist at the moment, how will, you know, even half of them return? Long term, it is a worry that they will never recover. Yeah, I mean, I think it's extremely difficult to say. I think there's an enormous cloud of uncertainty over how the world's almost going to look. And that sounds very dramatic, doesn't it? How the world is going to look after the coronavirus. It is going to create a massive shift. 
like it or loathe it, and despite the efforts that have been made by government, it feels inevitable that there's going to be a, a number of small and medium-sized businesses that are going to go under as a result of this. Those who maybe haven't been able to access the funding, those who were maybe borrowing at higher interest rates, those who'd maybe taken a bit of a risk because the economy was running so hot and that made the um, the business unsustainable in the current environment. There is going to be big businesses who go under. We've already seen, for example, with Flybe Week, big businesses who have gone under. That's going to create unemployment as well and longer term uh, more structural unemployment as well. That takes a little bit longer to heal. So that alone is going to create a difference. But then, as you say, it's really difficult to determine right now what kind of a difference this is going to make to our general working life because we may see this as a short-term thing. But even just something as simple as how quickly are people going to go and congregate in busy places? So take the cinema as an example. How quickly is it going to be before people are going to happily go into a crowded cinema? Uh, how quickly is it going to be before people are going to fill the pubs again? I think the pubs probably has more of a chance with the Brits being as we are. But there is going to be so many situations we're going to say, are people going to change their habits? How many people are going to uh, work from home one day a week after this, two days a week after this? What's that going to do to productivity? Uh, This could be the start of quite a shift. That's not saying it will be, but that makes it just incredibly difficult to predict as far as I'm concerned. Obviously, they can only run with the data that they have, and this is an an ever-evolving environment. But it seems to me like this could be the start of uh, some big changes as far as uh, the way things move. And again, that sounds very dramatic and it may prove to be very dramatic, but this is an extremely dramatic situation. Must talk about Donald Trump. We've seen some extraordinary performances over the last four years from him, but they seem to be getting more bizarre and surreal uh, with his media conferences over the last uh, two days even. And um, he's certainly uh, come out fighting again uh, he's now withholding funding from the World Health Organization. This probably in response to criticism uh, about his uh, policies uh, so far. And uh, this is the way that Trump fights back, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, this is extremely disappointing. This is the worst health pandemic in our lifetimes. And this is a time when you need all the experts. This is the time when you need these organizations uh, uh, and for the biggest contributor, 15% of the budget, $400 million, is threatening to pull out. That seems to me to just really, really dreadful timing. And the cynic in me does just wonder how much of this has to do with the fact that it is an election year. What better way to prove to the world that you blame someone else for a situation in your own country than by withholding funding for an organisation like the World Health Organisation, pointing the finger at them. We know, we, we've seen this plenty of times before that Trump loves a blame game enough to deflect uh, any attention away from yourself uh, and push it somewhere else. There's going to be a lot of analysis done as to how countries have handled this, what they could have done better, how, how can they reflect, what can they change next time because there is likely to be a phase two of this. Yet, I feel like Trump's just very much in election mode here in what he's doing with the World Health Organization. This is a time when we need all the expertise we can have. This is the time when we do need unity. This is the time when organisations like the WHO do need funding. And I I find this to be a move very, very much in bad taste, unfortunately. And you can only hope that given that it is 400 million, that there are going to be other countries, other entrepreneurs out there, other major businesses who are going to say that this is not okay. And at least in the short term, make up that shortfall. The uh, second biggest funder, for example, is uh, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Hopefully there are other foundations out there who can fill that void. But again, I guess many of these are coming under um, a lot of pressure at this moment in time as well. But yeah, for me, it, it just feels like a very disappointing uh, move. And I wonder what the true motives of it are. 
yeah, disappointing, if not unsurprising. Uh, final thought for poor old Jeff Bezos, uh, Craig. Uh, of course, he's the boss of Amazon. <laughs> Maybe um, he could fill the void. Well, he certainly could. He's got the money for it. Um, he has seen his wealth swell by $24 billion after soaring demand for online shopping during this crisis has sent uh, Amazon share price uh, to a new high. He's got a fortune of $138 billion now. Uh, world's richest man, of course. There's a lot of controversy about how these big companies don't pay enough tax. Maybe this is even more reason to actually start rethinking that and find out a way of doing it. Yeah, this is another area where I'm sceptical, though, because for that you need all countries on board and you just don't seem to see that. Uh, in this modern world, there's always at least one country out there, one big country out there, um, who stands to benefit more by not having a unified approach to this. Uh, and it's not always the same country that isn't a dig at any particular country. But like I say, uh, with that profit alone, you'd think Bezos could fund the entire WHO. Maybe he'll step up and uh, fill the void and help. Uh, and, yeah, it'd be good uh, publicity, wouldn't right it? Thing. It would it would be good publicity, and I think a lot of companies, thankfully, are using this as an opportunity to get some good publicity by contributing one way or another. Uh, and maybe this is his opportunity because, like I say, that, that this seems like a very sad story for me. People are going to criticise uh, aspects of the WHO's response. Uh, we've seen, for example, Trump criticising the fact that they they said that he shouldn't block travel from China, and that's been his winning point: is that he blocked travel from China at a time when he was being told not to. But there's a lot of advice that, which they've given, which have been good, and there's a lot of research which they've done and there's a lot of aid that they've given to countries and advice they've given to countries that has worked so to focus on that one thing purely because that's one thing that trump got right as it turns out how political can a message can this possibly be hopefully others will step up and i know this was a jeff bezos point but this just seems to like very sad in the current environment to be happening okay craig we'll hear from you again in tomorrow morning's business breakfast on jazz fm from 6 a.m uk time thanks for joining us thank you very much